So we're continuing on through our series, The Parables, which is a study of the parables that Jesus spoke. And uh, today we're going to do the parable of the two sons. Now, this parable has a connection with the parable of the wise and foolish builders, which we studied last week, because in that parable, Jesus asked them, if you remember last week, he says, why do you call me Lord, but do not do as I say? So that entire parable last week, the wise and foolish builders, was to set a foundation on what God's word is so that we're able to stand firm in the storms of life. Remember that? We set our foundation on what God's word says so that we're able to stand firm when the storms of life come our way. So we learned about setting that foundation and we learned some common storms. Now, Jesus today asks another question, but this time is directed towards the religious leaders, and he uses a parable as an example. Now, last time, last week, it was directed towards the multitudes that were following Jesus. Now, this question is going to be uh, driven or asked to the religious leaders, and the concept here is being obedient to the foundational truths of the Bible. Now, there are truths in the scriptures that we need to believe, right? But there's also directives in the scriptures that show us how to behave, okay? There's things we need to believe, and then there's directives on how we need to behave, or in other words, we call that obedience. So let's look at the question. It starts off in Matthew 21, and you probably have that in your, in your handout there. In Matthew 21, verse 28, it says this. <clears throat> says, what do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first son and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And the son answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind, and he went. And then he went to the other son and said the same, and he answered, I will go, sir, but did not. Which of the two sons did the will of his father? So Jesus was asking this question, which of the two sons did the will of his father? Now, this is pretty straightforward, right? It's not a trick question. The obedient son was the one that actually did the work. Regardless of the fact that he said no first, the obedient son was the one who actually did the work. So the religious leaders answered in verse 31, and they said, the first son, of course. And they were right, because the first son actually went and did the work in the vineyard. But before we go on with Jesus' answer and his explanation to why this first son was the obedient son, I want to give you a little bit of context to the placement of this parable so you kind of understand the answer a little bit better. And the context just comes from the scriptures right before in Matthew 21, verses 23 through 27. It says this, talking about Jesus, and when he entered the temple... The chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority do you do these things? And who gave you this authority? So these are the people that Jesus is talking to in the parable. Next, the chief priests and the elders, the, the religious people. So they said to Jesus, What authority do you have to do all these things, to teach people, to heal all that? Jesus answered them, I will also ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. So you see what Jesus does here? He says, you guys are going to ask me a question? No, 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 no. I'm going to ask you a question. He says this, the baptism of John, from where did it come from? From heaven or from man? 
And they, the religious leaders and the chief priests, discussed it among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, then why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John, this is talking about John the Baptist, was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. So they took the coward's way out, right? They didn't say heaven or man. They said, eh, we don't know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So the religious leaders had a struggle, and that was admitting that John the Baptist's role in Jesus's ministry, and that would further validate who Jesus is and what he was actually doing. So now we get back to the parable, because remember, the audience is these religious leaders. He tells this parable. Back to the parable, because now Jesus responds to their answer that the son who said no, but then went and did the work, was the obedient one. So he responds to their answer that the son that did not agree to work in the vineyard for his father, but changed his mind and went to work. They all agreed this was the obedient son. So now in Matthew 21, picking up in the parable again in verse 31, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. So you see what's going on here? So he tells this parable. He answers it like this because proceeding to the parable, he asked him, what do you believe about John? Is his baptism from heaven or from man? They're like, we don't know. We don't want to say it's from man because then the people will get upset with us. We don't want to say it's from heaven because then we're validating who Jesus is or who he claims to be. So now Jesus is calling them out and he's saying, listen, these sinners, these prostitutes and tax collectors actually saw what John did, saw who I am, and believed. So Jesus is calling out the religious leaders because remember earlier they were not willing to admit who John the Baptist was, that he was a messenger from God. The religious leaders are like the second son that agreed to work but didn't show up. Okay, they agreed to work but didn't show up because they were the religious ones. They were the ones saying, I believe all this stuff about God, and I'm religious, and I do all this stuff. But then when Jesus came, they didn't show up. Before John came to announce Jesus, the religious leaders looked as if they were doing the work of God. And in some senses, it seemed like they were. But once John came, and they rejected him, then Jesus came, and they rejected him, their religious works just became lip service with no real faith or substance behind them. Basically, they were saying to God, I believe you, see all my religious deeds and the things that I do, and then Jesus showed up, and they rejected him. And their rejection, in their rejection, they were refusing to actually work for him. Now, in this parable, Jesus says something that could either wake them up if their hearts are right, or really make them mad if their hearts were wrong. Now, most of you know the rest of the account of what happened to Jesus. So we know that Jesus' words did not actually wake them up. It actually made them upset. So Jesus said, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. 
The wake-up call is the people that are known as sinners not only can enter the kingdom of God, but do so before the religious. Now, let me just tell you, this is not a hard and fast rule, but Jesus is speaking to this specific crowd because the crowd, in the crowd were tax collectors and prostitutes that listened to John's message and followed Jesus, and there were also the religious leaders that did not listen to Jesus. These sinners had no obvious good works to lay claim to, but they believed the testimony of John the Baptist and further believed Jesus. So then Jesus states what happened in verse 32. For John came in the way of righteousness. This connects John the Baptist with this whole parable. It says, John came in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, talking to the religious leaders. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your mind and believe him. You didn't become like the first son who changed his mind and went. So the sinners that were not religious were like the first son. When the religious leaders and the prophets told them to listen up and believe God, they did not. But then when they heard John and saw Jesus, they reconsidered and believed. But the religious, they did not listen to John and they rejected Jesus. And like the second son, they said, yes, I'll go. But they never really went, did they? They said yes, because they were doing all these religious works, but then Jesus came, and then they never really did the work. They were giving lip service to God by the religious things that they were doing, but they had no real commitment to the Lord. So what I want to do is there's really three takeaways for us from this parable today. And the first takeaway is the perspective of the father in the parable. The father has two sons. Ask them both, right? It's Father's Day. And as a father, right, I know, and all the other fathers will agree with me on this one, one desire that we have for our children, okay? You know what that desire is, right? Just be obedient, okay? That's it. There's peace in the house when you guys listen to me. I mean, would, would I get an amen from all the fathers out there? Okay, that's one desire, okay? You know, you could live, you could do, don't sin, don't do that, but like listen to what I have to say as your father, because I love you. And my kids are not here right now, so it's not like I'm preaching to them but not saying this, okay? So uh, they come to the second service. But here's the thing. When they obey us, there's peace. And we see their loyalty and their commitment and their loyalty and commitment to the relationship that we have with them. Now, the good father doesn't ask their child to do anything that will harm them, right? The good father actually ask their child to do things that's going to help them, that's going to benefit the family, that's going to bless the people around them, that's going to benefit their life. Now, this father in the parable, in some senses, receives a one-two punch because punch number one is the first son says no to him, right? Son, go in the vineyard today and do the work. And he says, no, I'm not doing that. That's the son that eventually becomes the obedient son and changes his mind and does the work. But punch number two is the second son. That son said, yeah, I'll do it. This son's like the sneak attack son, right? Yeah, I'll do it, Dad. He's the Eddie Haskell of the bunch. And I can say Eddie Haskell to the 830 because you guys all know what I'm talking about, right? He's the Eddie Haskell of the bunch. He's the one that's like, yes, Father, I will listen to you and do everything you say. And then when he leaves the house, he's like, I ain't doing that. Okay. So this is the one-two two punch in a sense. 
So both sons let their father down at some point, but the first son turns out to be the obedient one. Now the father in the parable represents God, and God sees us as his children. And anyone that has children can empathize with God at this point because none of us want our children to disobey. Now remember, when we see God as a father, like all parents can understand this, right? We can understand the heartbreak of a child not being obedient. That's how God, our Heavenly Father, looks at us, doesn't he? Okay, our Heavenly Father looks at us, and his heart is broken when we don't obey him. As parents, right, like the Heavenly Father, we're happy when they change their mind from disobedience to obedience, and the good Father does not hold the earlier disobedience against them when they come to their senses and are obedient. We're upset when they act like or say they're going to be obedient but are not, and we realize there's a heart issue going on because they're being deceptive with us, they're being dishonest with us. Which brings us to the second takeaway is believers should walk the walk and not just talk the talk. I know that's a cliche saying, but it's true. We should walk the walk and not just talk to talk. This is not saying it's better not to make any commitments than to say you will do something than not do it. It's not saying don't just don't be the person that, you know, like if you're going to be disobedient, don't act like you're going to be obedient. That's not what this is teaching. What this is teaching is there is work to be done in the father's vineyard and the obedient believer does the work. Okay, so we walk the walk. So there's four things about the work of God, the work in his vineyard or walking the walk. The first is this. There is work to be done. You know what? The father would not have asked the sons to work if there was no purposeful work to be done. And notice I said purposeful work. I remember when I was a kid, I don't know why I watched this, but it was the Jackson 5 documentary. Well, it was actually a movie made about the Jackson 5, about them growing up. Has anybody seen that movie? Okay, the Jackson 5 had this stepdad that like kind of ran the Jackson 5 and was their manager. And he was also pretty mean, okay? And when these kids got in trouble, what he would do is he had a pile of bricks in the corner of the backyard. And if they got in trouble, they had to move the bricks from one corner to the other corner. And then the next time they got in trouble, they had to move the bricks back, okay? Purposeless work, okay? As a dad, I could think of much better punishments than that, right? Okay? It was work that was purposeless, purposeless labor. See, the work that God calls us as believers to do has purpose. It has purpose. One of the purposes is to be a light to the community, right? To reach out with the gospel message. Another purpose is to have fellowship with one another. The work of the Bible, or the work of God, is to fellowship with one another, actually enjoy one another's company. It's to worship like we do here on Sunday mornings, to lift God's name in praises. It's to disciple one another, to teach one another, right? To teach one another about the truths of the scriptures. And it's to serve one another. It's to serve other people inside the church and outside the church. See, as believers, we need to realize there's work to be done, and that work serves a purpose. God's just not like move the bricks from one corner to the other, okay? 
God has work for us as believers to do in this world. And the obedient Christian walks the walk and does the work. Second is the work of the father. The work is the father's work. Okay, so the work that God calls us to do actually is his work. Now, I mean, this sounds kind of basic, but think about it this way. Many of us work hard, but it's not necessarily the work of God. It might be the work of self-promotion. It might be the work of financial gain. It might be the work of building our own personal kingdom. It's not that we're lazy. It's just that the work that we're doing is our own work, our own benefit, things that we like, things that we want. An obedient child does the work of the Heavenly Father. That means the work that he calls us to do. The third thing is this. The need for the work to be done is now. The father went to the sons and said, go and work in my vineyard today. Okay? Right now. Today. A lot of times we say, oh, I'll do that later. I'll do that later. The father in the parable said, go work today. We don't know what will happen tomorrow, do we? We don't even know if we're guaranteed tomorrow. In fact, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. So God has work for us to do today. So the obedient child works today and has no regrets. It reminds me of an account I read about D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was a famous preacher in the late 1800s in Chicago. And on the night of October 8th, 1871, actually the morning of October 8th, 1871, in Chicago, he was preaching to the biggest congregation he had ever preached to before. And he preached the gospel message. He preached to them that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. That Jesus Christ rose from the grave to prove that he is God. That Jesus Christ said, all who believe will have eternal life. Now, instead of preaching it and saying, you can believe that today because that's the gospel message. You can believe that right here and right now. He did something he normally never did before. And he actually said to them, go home and think about this all week. Come back next Sunday and you could decide what you will do about believing in Jesus. I guess he just thought he'd throw it out there like that instead of believe today. Well, the service closed with a hymn. As the account goes, the lyrics of the hymn were, Today the Savior calls for refuge fly. The storm of justice falls and death is nigh. Now it's reported that before the song was even over, people heard chaos from other people outside the church screaming that there was a fire. Well, that was actually the day that the great Chicago fire started, burnt the city for two days, burnt 3.3 square miles of that city. Now, D.L. Moody said after that, he never dared to give people a week to think about what they should do today. He said the lesson he learned is to preach so that people make a decision today. You know what? We have the work of the Lord to do today. Don't wait until tomorrow. You know, when God presses on your heart to do something, don't say, I'll get to it eventually. I'll do it eventually. <coughs> eventually, I'll serve. Eventually, I'll volunteer. Eventually, I'll do something. Guess what? God's work is to be done today. 
because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. The final point about the father's work is it's the child's duty to do the work of, God, of his father. You know, you remember being a kid maybe, right? Your dad said, hey, take out the trash. And if you dared to say something like, why should I do it? What did your father say or what was his response? Okay, don't, don't answer out loud because <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> your father may have said something like, uh, because I told you to or because you live here. Right? It was your duty to pitch in. It was your duty to pitch in because you live in the house and your father asked you to do the work. And guess what? If he asked you to take out the trash, he didn't want you to wait till tomorrow, did he? Okay? Because he knew that that garbage man was coming. And if you didn't get the trash out, you were going to miss it. See, it's the duty of every Christian to work for God. Some might say, oh, you know what? That's for pastors to do. Okay? That, that's, how, that's how it works, right? You know, the, the pastors and the missionaries and stuff, they do the work of God. Let them do it. No, no, no. It's the duty of all, of all who believe to do the work of God. Many times we fall into the trap of thinking, if I feel like it, or if I have time, I'll do it. That is not the case. We have a duty and a responsibility to do the work of God. Ephesians 2.10 says this about us. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You get that? That's what you're here for. God prepared those good works beforehand for you to walk in. So that basically says, like, if you can just imagine, like, you're just on this path and God has all these great things prepared for you to actually do. You could either be an obedient child and do those or you can be a disobedient child and decide not to. And for many of us, if we're honest, we're probably like the second son. Yeah, I agree. That's nice. I'm here on a Sunday morning. It's beautiful. It's a good word. Yeah, yeah. But then when we leave, we're disobedient. We don't do the work. You know, Paul says to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, he said, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So he's saying, hey, listen, this is the way you're obedient. You get into the word like we talked about last week so you can weather those storms, right? But then you do the work. You read it and then do it. Now, the final takeaway from this parable is this. God is willing to forgive sinners. You know, you might be wondering, okay, it sounds like, oh, it sounds like a lot, you know, doing the work of God and this and that. But we have such a gracious and merciful God. Think about this for a second. The tax collectors and the prostitutes believed. Now, when we hear that and we read it, we're like, okay, yeah, they sound pretty bad, tax collectors and the prostitutes. You know, we think that way. You know, it sounds pretty bad. But in that culture, it was like the lowest of the low in that community. It's the amazing grace of God that we're all invited to come to him, no matter who we are, no matter where we're from, or what we have done. See, we have a loving father that was willing to give up his one and only son, Jesus, so that we can all be called children of God. The call of the child of God is to be obedient to his work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father,
We're just so thankful for this day. We're thankful that you have work for us. We know that your work has purpose. It's not fruitless, purposeless work. It's work to be done for your glory. Lord, we pray that we're obedient to that work because we know that when we do that work, it brings fulfillment into our lives as your children. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.